0: Slump Buster Podcast. Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now.
1: Well, the Celtics are starting this season a lot better than they did last year. Last year, I know it took a couple months for them to really get going. And then we know the turbulent offseason they had with the Ime Adoka situation that's still ever developing behind the scenes. However, as of this point, they have went on a winning streak. Their first place in the Eastern Conference as of today. We're recording this on Monday just getting a big win against the OKC Thunder. Obviously, they don't even have Robert Williams back, and they're able to do what they're doing to this point early in the season. Kyle, what do you make of the Celtics and how they performed, especially
0: on the streak? Well, the Boston Celtics are the same team that I remember them from last year's playoffs. I mean, they're a team that's Tatum and Brown are going to give you 20. Marcus Smart might give you a 22 every now and again. They're going to play some very strong defense and they're going to win these games against teams that, for the most part, are lesser. I mean, they beat, like we were talking about, they beat the Nuggets, they beat the Grizzlies. Like they've had some good wins in there, but it's like six points against the Pistons, four points against the Thunder, three points against the Pistons, three points against the Bulls, which is fine. Like it's better to win those games than lose them like the Warriors are doing but it's still really interesting to watch Boston play because they're kind of like a well-refined machine like you can take out the leadership at the top and just kind of plug it in and and the machine keeps rolling for Boston And like you said even without Robert Williams they've been uh, pretty solid defensively this year I believe still a top five defensive team in the league I'd have to double check that last week they were a top five defensive team in the league but that might have changed in the time since so it's been very solid Well-oiled machine. We've seen years of evidence that suggests Boston is one of the four best teams in the East, and they're continuing to show it this year.
1: I think one of the biggest differences on this year's team is that the bench has really started off well for them. Obviously, the addition of Malcolm Brogdon was a needed move for this Boston Celtics roster to make. He's given them some great depth at the guard position. He's been missed the last couple games. He's missed the last couple with a hamstring and his presence not being out there. You do feel it. Obviously, you mentioned how close it was in this OKC game. You mentioned how close it was in the Pistons game. I feel as though if Brogdon was in there giving his contributions off the bench, that may have provided a little bit of a difference in that game. Uh, Derek White has played a little bit better this year. His shooting form is still inconsistent, but I hope that we see some better results from Derek White as this goes on. We know that he was more of a defensive uh, type guard when he was with the San Antonio Spurs and he would give you the occasional three-point shooting not great three-point shooting but occasional three-point shooting if he gives you that then Derek White's giving you exactly what you want Grant was a 40 percent three-point shooter last year hopefully Grant can continue to be that for you especially as one of your bigger guys that you like to have out there when you're playing bully ball on the court and they found some nice developments this year with uh, a Sam Hauser you know like one of those Underrated type finds. Uh, he's basically giving them what Peyton Pritchard was in three point shooting, except he's bigger. Uh, you would have liked uh, Danilo Gallinari to be out there, but you would have took a step back defensively with Gallinari. tit for tat, you know, you lose a little bit of that, but you do gain a little bit more size, a little bit more defensive. Rossi, and so the Celtics have really built up something sustainable in the guys that they have on the roster, and it starts at the top: Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown both averaging I want to say 25 and six at this point so 25 and six from those two guys you're going to win a lot of ball games if those guys are giving you those level of performances I think it was just a week ago that both of them put up over 30 in a game I want to say that was the Denver Nuggets win in fact you you go against an MVP caliber guy like Jokic you have to have your stars perform and it's impressive that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both performing for them, cutting down on the turnovers, not making the dumb plays. That was the stuff that cost them in the finals last year. And that's the only reason that they even went to seven games with Miami or went to seven games with Milwaukee without Chris Middleton. If they don't have any of that, if they clean that mess up and they stop going to isolation ball, which is so often their fallback, then they can have a run to
0: Title 18. I mean, they're they're right at the top there. And, and by the way, to, to clean up something you said, Jason Tatum, 32 points, seven rebounds, and four assists to start the season, which is short sample size, but puts him in the like top seven of the MVP race at this point. And uh, Grant Williams right now is shooting 20 for 40 from three-point range. That is a 50% clip under an incredibly small sample size, no doubt. But 20 for 40 so far to start the season yeah. from Grant Williams will help that uh, number one offensive rating they have in the league.
1: Well, you go back to last year's playoffs, and he has the game seven against Milwaukee, where he just can't miss from three point range. And then you go into the Miami heat series in the golden state series. And Grant is practically unplayable. So to hear that he's at a 50% clip and hear that the three point shooting has come along to that extent is something that you just hope that he doesn't lose sight of at the corner three. If he could just be a PJ Tucker for us and consistently hit from that range. (laughs) I'm okay with that because Grant, I like when Grant's playing well, there's times in which Grant is unplayable And it's frustrating when that happens. Again, we'll see how these minutes adjust too. whenever you get like a Robert Williams back in there. I'm sure they don't want to overspend Al Horford. Al Horford now, what, age 38 at this point. Al's Al's in his golden years, but still giving them good minutes. I mean, I want to say he put up 20 tonight or 20 a couple nights ago. Al Horford still has that first former first round pick level performance in him and showing that he's one of the truly ageless stars in the league.
0: Well, star is a little generous, but yes, I agree with you. Some former star, but he, he played like a star a few times in the playoffs last year, like that game four against Milwaukee that hey, I still don't understand how he I'll outscored the, the, the entire Bucks team.
1: Internationally.
0: Al Horford's name. Well, you said you said uh, you said Al's golden hour, which I thought was funny that you made an Al Golden pun to the old Miami Hurricanes fired head coach, which I thought was hilarious. But I thought they should move Al Horford to the bench last year. So seeing Grant Williams be kind of in that like, Stretch four, who shoots a lot of corner threes. He's not necessarily a shot creator, but a shot like taker, where they just like Tatum is doing ISO and then hits it to Williams and Williams shoots. Probably better to have him in that spot than Horford. So I guess in that situation, of course, Robert Williams is going to start at the five. So like you yeah. could make a case either way for Horford or Williams. I think
1: particularly here in the regular season, if you you want to put it on a guy with younger legs, fresher legs, in Grant than someone like Al, because you want Al playing his best ball in May, in June. I will say Al did ramp up in the latter part of the season last year, but part of that was he had that year off with OKC the previous year. That I think that went a long way for Al's health, obviously off of a finals run. A lot of minutes on those legs. I think it will be good to give him some rest throughout the course of the season, some veteran days, just to kind of make sure that this team is running at full steam by the time you do hit playoff mode. Obviously Mm -hmm. don't take your foot off the gas too much because, you know, you still have to defend who gets home court advantage with Milwaukee. I think home court is going to actually be pivotal in those um, environments and those matchups. When we talk about the top of the Eastern conference, Right now, you still see Atlanta circling there between the top two teams. Hmm. We'll see if they fade off. We know that the Cavaliers, they've beaten the Celtics team twice, so I'm not going to write off the Cavs. Darius Garland just put up 50 the other night. Tells you the type of firepower they have between him and Donovan Mitchell. And also- Celtics have more competition this year.
0: One thing to also note is that the Williams thing is a new switch that Boston's made since they've gone on this win streak. It was originally Derek White at the two and um, Jason Tatum at the four to start the season. So like that's another option they could go to. This is just kind of a recent switch they've done with the Grant Williams thing. So I mean, it's there like the different options are available for Boston. It's just what do you do when Robert Williams comes back? That's like the macro level thing that's interesting on a short term level. Like they have the number one offense in the NBA and that's something that, you can definitely hang your hat on because you know last year's team was i mean they can score enough points along with the best defensive team in the nba and this year's kind of like they have a good defensive team like i said they were top five last week right now they're ranked 11th but again super duper small sample sizes but having a top ranked offense is certainly an improvement from last year's celtics team these guys are on fire let's hear
1: more second quarter starts now Okay, I know it's November, so we always have to pause on any crazy over-exaggerations or jumping the gun on making definitive statements about teams. However, one thing that I can tell you for certain is the Warriors are the worst road team in the NBA currently, and that is defined by their record being 0-7. And this kind of goes hand-in-hand with discussions going on of how these Minutes are being distributed among the young guys and the veterans on this team. Obviously, we're talking about the defending NBA champions, so we have to kind of revere them and give them their due respect when we discuss them. But at the same time, we're analyzing the 2022-2023 Warriors, and so far, to this point, it's not good. It's very underwhelming. What do you think is one of the biggest struggles right now with this Warriors roster in particular?
0: I think the, the what we would call struggle at this point is, is them trying to blend the young guys into the roster that exists right now because if you're looking at the positives... Draymond Green has had a turnaround from his abysmal end of last season. He's actually played quite well this season so far. Uh, Steph Curry's been out of this world. He's scoring 33 points a game. And my favorite stat is that from two-point range, Steph Curry this year has the same shooting percentage as prime Shaquille O'Neal, which is ridiculous. He's hitting like floaters at the same rate Shaq was making dunks and post shots. And that's been the strength of the team. I think the part that's come up short is, is obviously Clay Thompson, based on expectations i mean clay thompson hasn't been terrible but jordan pool's in the same space too where it's like he's averaging fewer points per game than last year while also he's still putting up 16 points on relatively good shooting numbers so it's not like he's been a total like oh my god what's happening it's just he's kind of the same player as last year and and he's coming off the bench and scoring 16 points that's incredibly valuable it's just i think people had higher expectations 35 percent though guys. in his
1: last stretch of game shooting Maybe 16, but if you're shooting 35% from the field, you're not exactly doing it in the most efficient way. And like you said, it is a struggle balancing these young guys and these new guys. Kaminga's trying to get time. Wiseman trying to get time. Moody, they've tried to give him minutes as well. Every time that those guys come on the court, the Warriors are at a deficit. You mentioned the plus-minus stats to me uh, before we started recording here. Anyone who's been kind of watching them more or less could see the flow of the game that anytime that Steph and the starters are on the floor, they're generally winning. They're playing like the Warriors. But anytime those guys come off, it's a problem. The only two guys that are truly reliable right now at this point are Steph and Andrew Wiggins. As you mentioned, Clay has underperformed. And I think part of that is the contract. Speaking of contract with Jordan Poole, he just signed that extension. So expectations come when you sign that extension because we said as the Warriors move into this next phase of basketball, Jordan Poole was kind of the guy that was supposed to pick up the torch and run with it. If we're talking about the new iteration, the Splash Brothers, Jordan Poole was supposed to be part of the kind of maintaining that culture on this Warriors team. And so far, it seems like he's fallen short on that. Young guy, still a lot of time to do it, and he will have to figure it out. However, I don't know how long the Warriors are going to give him because while you have Steph Curry, you're trying to win championships. So what do you think the Warriors should do? Should they stick with this two timeline plan or try and make a big swing for a veteran this year?
0: All depends on what you get in return. That is the big thing. Now, if you're going to implement the strategy of we are going to exhibit patience and development with Wiseman, Moody, Kaminga, and Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole's a little ahead of him just because he's an older player, but I think Poole is kind of included in that group of guys. If we're going to exhibit patience, this is a years long process that they're building into. It takes 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, 120 games to really build that out and give them the confidence as you're probably about to say. They're trying to defend their
1: championship here. They don't have 100
0: games. This is the interesting part. Can you do both at the same time? Now, personally, I'm looking at this. You know, there's that big red panic button there. I'm not only am I not hitting it, I'm putting the case on the big red panic button. The Warriors are going to be fine. They might not get the one seed. They might not get the two seed. They're going to be fine. 17 teams are between six and eight wins right now. It's going to be okay in the long run. What I think personally is uh, kind of like treading the line halfway, which is Warriors are a perfect candidate for one of these like expiring contracts at the trade deadline. Like, I don't know, a a Bogdanovich, a a Corey Joseph, like just we can throw a second round pick at a guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. That's a perfect situation for the Warriors because it's someone who maybe when the roster shortens to eight. If something happens to Kaminga or Moody where they're not playable, or, or Jordan Poole is a defensive problem and something happens there, you could slide a Bogdanovich in and maybe that improves your lineup. But it's just good to have that depth. Like, if Bogdanovich, I'm just saying Bogdanovich, like, or a Bogdanovich type of player, like, I don't know, you could throw anyone out there as a Bogdanovich esque. Even DiVincenzo fits that description right now for them. The idea is just. They could not play once the playoff lineup shortens or they're just an option available to you if you need them. But I'd say that's the the prime position for the Warriors is just throw a second what, round pick at an expiring What about contract. winning games now, though?
1: What do you think is the best move for them to do as far as winning games now? Because you don't want to burn out your veterans this early in the season, but you can't afford to keep losing and falling behind further and further in standings. I know you say that you're okay with them not being the one or two seed, but you don't want to be the seventh or eighth seed. You don't want to be in the play-in tournament talk. Because although they had the amazing championship run season last year, prior to that, we do know that the Warriors were in the NBA cellar. So it could happen quickly. Obviously, they made all the right moves for veterans last year. Pick up a Iguodala, Otto Portis Jr., Gary Payton. All those guys are gone now. And now they've been trying to replace them with, as I mentioned, Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, these guys that uh, were expected with their first round draft picks, they're high round draft picks to be contributors to this year's version of the Warriors. But now it's like anytime Kerr puts them in, they're losing games. They will build up a lead. And then as soon as he puts in those guys, they immediately start losing the game. So to the point where if you're Kerr, you can't afford to keep letting it happen, right? You're either coaching or allowing it to happen. Kerr can't keep allowing his team to lose just for the purpose of building up these young guys. Uh, So what is that right balance? What do you think should be the move here? And for a guy like Wiseman, do you think he's more likely to see playing time in the G League?
0: Oh, so Wiseman, I think, is already we kind of can establish he's he's not going to be anything special. We can already establish that baseline with Wiseman. In terms of the macro level thing with the Warriors... Uh, let's check back in four weeks from today, because uh, the next 12 games for the Warriors include eight games against teams who are currently below 500. And that doesn't include two games against the Utah Jazz, which we know the Utah Jazz have a great record. But come on, like the Warriors will be favored against the Utah Jazz. So the schedule is favorable for Golden State. I see a New York Knicks. I see two Houston Rockets. I see Pacers <laughs> I, I mean, like these okay, are games. You, you mentioned do. all
1: these weak teams. Sure. But also take a look at the Warriors schedule and the games they've lost. They've also lost to like the Detroit Pistons. They've also lost to like uh, Sacramento. They've lost to Orlando on the road. So they, part of them losing these road games is they're also losing to the worst teams in the league. It's not like they're just losing to Boston, Milwaukee, all the top teams in the Eastern They Conference. play Phoenix no, on Wednesday. The That's teams. the
0: toughest one I can see. They They play Phoenix Wednesday, and that'll be interesting to watch. But... I agree with you. If 12 games from now, we come back and this still persists, then we can have that conversation again about what they're going to do. But for now, just let it play out. 12 games from now, I bet you the Warriors are more likely than not to be above 500. Let's just let it play out and see what happens before we do any sort of like changing of roster or changing the young players situation. I agree with you. If they keep losing these games, definitely concerning. I'll give it 12 more games. Like I said, they play eight teams that are currently below 500. It'll be either the ship will be righted because they'll beat some teams that aren't that good like they're doing to the San Antonio Spurs as we're recording, or it'll be panic time or maybe somewhere in the middle, or maybe we're talking about roster changes and changing minutes and stuff. But we'll check back in four weeks and see what it looks like.
1: The Slump Buster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. So, one of my favorite host NBA analysts, Bill Simmons, put it out there: there's some buzz. Lakers may trade Anthony Davis, and this just adds to the dismal season that is taking place for the Los Angeles Lakers. Dismal two years. And we've asked this question about Anthony Davis before. What is the way that this Lakers team gets right? We thought it was with the combination of LeBron and Anthony Davis, but have we hit the point where it's like the only trade we can make to legitimately get this team recharted is to actually make the big one. It feels like Russell Westbrook would be a lateral move. Anthony Davis, better, worse. At least it's a move that moves the arrow up or down.
0: Yeah, yeah. Depends on what you're going to get for Anthony Davis is the big thing. If they're considering trading Anthony Davis, it all depends on what you're going to get for him. Don't sell him for 75 cents on the dollar. Don't sell him for 70 cents on the dollar. Just your better bet is just waiting it out and seeing if he develops into something similar to what you gave that giant contract for. Cause even if you punt on this season and you keep LeBron and Anthony Davis, they have almost a max contract worth of space this off season whether they use that on one big player or three or four players individually is another conversation that you might want to have next off season with the Lakers. But don't trade Anthony Davis for less than a superstar package, even a star package. Don't trade Anthony Davis for less than that, because you already have such a, a an empty asset cupboard. There's no reason to continue selling low on assets and only lower the value potentially.
1: Okay, so define superstar trade versus star trade versus selling low. Are you saying that they need players that will help the team now? Or are you saying draft picks like are we talking about similar to what they got when they traded away or got, <laughs> when they got Anthony Davis? We're talking about all those draft picks and a few prospects. Can they even uh, make that trade happen? Because I, I I'm can't see we'll do I, that.
0: I'm saying you get equivalent value to the Rudy Gobert trade. You get equivalent value to the Rudy Gobert trade if you're going to trade Anthony Davis. Now, maybe you get players and that are worth first round picks. Like, for example, uh, when, when we we're talking about the Donovan Mitchell trade and we we're talking about eight first round picks worth of value. Well, R.J. Barrett, if he were to just get traded on the open market, might be worth two first round picks. Obi Toppin might be worth one first round pick. You just kind of got to evaluate what each of the pieces are worth. So like get seven to eight first round picks worth of value for Anthony Davis. Now, maybe that involves trading for an all-star player that would be worth three first round picks. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing a name out. DeJounte Murray. Like if if that were part of the trade, that might be the equivalent of three first round picks, but you got to get value equal to what Minnesota got for Gobert if you're going to trade Anthony Davis.
1: (laughs) Maybe you just make another trade with the Washington Wizards, right? Get Kyle Kuzma back. That might be the answer. <laughs> we need. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I guess the tough thing if you're the Lakers is if you are trading Anthony Davis, what future are you setting for LeBron? I know LeBron's there as long as he wants to be there, but at the same time, it's like, if we don't have Anthony Davis, we have Russell Westbrook that we just can't get rid of. And we have LeBron James then we know that this team's not making the playoffs. LeBron's just
0: sitting there. I, I feel as though if well, you're trading if, Anthony
1: Davis, you almost have to trade everyone.
0: Well, who else is left? Who <laughs> oh, LeBron, else is left besides well, Anthony James.
1: Davis? But LeBron James. I'm saying LeBron just have to make that happen. And I know that if you talk to LeBron James, you would have to get him involved. There's no way that you're just trading LeBron to NBA Siberia you would have to talk to LeBron James about wherever he gets traded to, but he just, I mean... he just
0: signed a one-year extension. LeBron just signed the one-year extension with the Lakers. He's got a full no trade clause. LeBron is there. The difference is again, Westbrook is off the books after this year and they get, if they make some moves, they can get close to a max contract this off So you know, they LeBron's can bring in not another having guy. Fun.
1: You know, I feel like LeBron James wants to have fun
0: too. But this is making bad. your bed and, and sleeping in it at this point because when they traded for Westbrook, they had no path out of Westbrook unless another team was willing to take him, like actually saw value in Westbrook, which I don't think any of us guessed two years ago no one would have value for Westbrook, but it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. So I mean, like, we guessed that this w- it was a bad fit. We all <laughs> at least guessed that. We, but we knew it was going to be two years.
1: They're- yeah, but anyone with even just... Casual basketball knowledge knew that West Russell Westbrook on a LeBron James team just sounded weird and it ended up being weird. And it just shocks me that LeBron James, someone with such a high basketball IQ, who obviously influenced that trade, didn't see it either.
0: I mean, the the thing with Westbrook is if they were going to trade Westbrook, even if, say, Westbrook had some value and they didn't have to attach picks, like say the trade was Westbrook for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner straight up and you don't include the draft picks. Like if they didn't have to dump draft picks on Westbrook, they'd be selling low on whatever you think the value of Westbrook is because they traded for him with the assumption that getting rid of all your players and picks that were left would be enough to put you over the top. And the fact that it didn't work, didn't give them another chance. They gave up all their picks for Anthony Davis. They spent all their money on, on players around Anthony Davis. So then getting Westbrook was their last all in move. Cause they traded all the last young pieces that they had, whether it be KCP or Kuzma, like they, they went all in on that. They they tried to trade a first round pick yeah. for Dennis Schroeder. That didn't work. Like they're just out of assets at this I, point. I think
1: that that's what makes it so much worse, right? The Russell Westbrook deal that you also got rid of uh, Kuzma in that trade. And not that Kuzma was grave. And certainly there's frustrations to be had with Kyle Kuzma. But the fact is, at this point in his career, as crazy as it is to sound, Kyle Kuzma is a better player than Russell Westbrook.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Kuzma's averaging like 17 points a game this year over in Washington. He's not a bad player at all. He's just he's another dude. But the thing is, the Westbrook trade has been so bad that he's yeah. barely even another dude.
1: And then you talk about KCP. <laughs> KCP was a needed piece on this roster. And then you take Russell Westbrook's money, and it means you can't afford Alex Caruso, all guys that this Lakers team needed desperately. Yeah, a Caruso, he had a Kuzma. You thought you get a KCP. Maybe I don't think you're a championship team anymore. I could at least see as top five team in the Western Conference. I mean, in a, in a year that the Jazz are currently leading the Western Conference with an 8-3 and three record, and a year that that is currently happening, if you told me that the that roster construction happened, that at least you had Kuzma, uh, Caruso back, and KCP with LeBron and AD doing their thing, then yes, they, they would have been a good team in the Western Conference. Not a great team, but they, it was a good team in the Western Conference. This whole and not having those pieces and having Westbrook has just dragged down this team to a point that they're miserable. I mean, the the Sacramento Kings are about as good as the Los Angeles Lakers.
0: Yeah. How about that? Let's go. Sacramento. It's not even a 12th seed in the West,
1: baby. Let's go. I know you sometimes think I, I exaggerate on some of these things, but that's not even a crazy exaggeration when you actually look at the state of both franchises. At least the Kings are kind
0: of fun. <laughs> you know? Sort of. Yeah. But like, this is like all those things you're talking about, Caruso, KCP, Danny Green, Schroeder, this is just making your bed and sleeping in it. Like this was the all in move they made. And now you live with the consequences of it. The solution is not to trade Anthony Davis for less than what Anthony Davis is worth just to, to try and set this thing up. But You're not
1: going to get what Anthony Davis is worth. And Anthony Davis, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because the injuries, I know you can't, project injuries but I mean with Anthony Davis it's almost you you don't project it you just assure it that he's going to be injured at some point the statistical decline is also concerning with Anthony Davis I mean his counting stats are all heading in a troubling direction Uh, you look at the three-point shooting something that Anthony Davis used to pride himself in I mean at one point he was a 33 percent three-point shooter he's down to 23 and last year he was shooting 18 percent
0: But, but that's okay. Anthony Davis doesn't have to be a three point shooter. He blocks shots that are 14 and a half. He He doesn't doesn't have to be,
1: but that was one of his biggest strengths when he was a dominant player.
0: When they won the championship. Yes. When they won the championship, it was one of his strengths, but he doesn't need to be that. You don't have.
1: Yeah. He doesn't need to be. It just, he needs to be, if this team was to be a winner.
0: Yeah, but they're not going to be winners. And this is the thing. Their best bet is to just don't quit on Anthony Davis. Like there is no scenario where you give up on Anthony Davis at this point, because even if his value keeps going now, down, betting do on the upside out? is a better idea. How do you play out? Like what, what's the out here? As long as it takes, like you've got to bet on that until you find a better alternative, which is probably signing another player in free agency or a trade offer comes along that you can't refuse, which you just got to bet on rehabbing his ability because the alternative (laughs) is to just give up and and accept mediocrity. Kyrie Irving (laughs) is the only team that was in on
1: the off season. You're just going to burn it down. Why not?
0: (laughs) Look, I mean, the, the Lakers... Like I said, the Lakers can get a max contract this offseason. I know Draymond Green wants to go there that doesn't fix all their problems, Uh, but it it doesn't fix
1: any of their problems. You're gonna bring another guy who can't shoot
0: on his team. I mean, but then you can you can spend your money on other players like Draymond Green's not gonna get a max contract, so you can spend your money on shooters and actually build a roster that actually has a chance to make the eight seed in the West lebron's not the same player he once was anthony davis isn't the same player he once was this is what making your bed and sleeping in it and looks looks like the reason it's this bad is because they're diminished players it's not just westbrook westbrook as rough as this has been westbrook is not capable of tanking that team this way without the diminished play of lebron and anthony davis and and that's rob polinka need to go is that the next move that happens Nah, eh, it doesn't matter. LeBron's making the calls anyway. I, it I know it doesn't matter, but you're still bringing in guys
1: like Lonnie Walker and Juan Toscano Anderson. And these guys are playing significant minutes for you. And these are decisions that Blinka is making. At least he's signing the contracts. I don't, I don't know. Was LeBron James in the film room saying, I need Lonnie Walker? I need no, Juan but Toscano- like LeBron,
0: Anderson? LeBron's the one who controls the big moves and the rest is whatever. But like, well, the big moves in- are what killed them. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, I know. And this is is making your bed and sleeping in it. There is no out at this point. Trading Anthony Davis is not a fix. Trading Anthony Davis is giving up. And also, it's a terrible idea because, yeah, Anthony Davis's value might get lower. That risk is better than trading him where you are now. It's better to risk him getting less value while playing the upside of him getting better. Because trading him now, you just give up while he's low. And, And if you give up while he's low, sure, he can get lower, But giving up at this point is just going to be you get less than what he's worth and then you're stuck in mediocrity with no escape.
1: The only way you're going to get more or what you consider at value for Anthony Davis is if he finally breaks out of whatever extended slump he's in and starts playing up to his ability. And I just don't know if he has the ability to play up to 2020 bubble Anthony Davis anymore. Yes,
0: you are correct. And the Lakers are better off betting on that possibility right now than they are of dumping him and giving it up. They are better off betting on that possibility or waiting for a a dumb team to give them a Rudy Gobert trade offer. They are better off playing that game of hoping that that's and and working to get him healthy and developing him back and working on his confidence there. That's the better course of action than selling low.
1: Yeah. But it's not necessarily all about can they bring in another star. Sometimes it's also about can they construct a better team. And you don't necessarily need a big three or big two anymore in modern the modern NBA. I think to win a championship or build a team that could make a significant playoff run, you just need a well constructed team. I mean, again, going back to the Utah Jazz, what they're doing it's because they just happen to build a roster that works off of each other and works into each other's skill sets. Uh, LeBron James, we know what LeBron James' skill set is. It it requires shooters. And if you could trade Anthony Davis, you told me you were able to get at least one to two to three guys, maybe you get some draft picks too that can shoot. (laughs) then it's Mm -hmm. like that that might actually just fix the needs. And yes, you're giving up Anthony Davis, but you're also bringing in guys that fit better to what you need to do to win actual basketball games.
0: Yeah, I, I think that most of the picks are gone at this point. They have to give up one more pick to the Pelicans after this year. And there's a pick swap situation, but you know, they'll get their picks back three of the next four years after this year. So I guess that's something to be like, if they're going to tear it down, at least that's something you can point to of like, they're at least going to have their own picks for most of these years.
1: Anthony Davis for Kevin Durant ad for KD.
0: oh no they should do that <laughs> if they can get that they should have, that would be brooklyn selling low if we they just, made that move <laughs> i mean we just
1: need to just get rid of everyone's problems it's like my aaron Rodgers for russell wilson trade just swap problems and get it over with.
0: yeah i don't know like if you could get like deandre ayton plus a bunch of picks i mean sure that'll be something to build off of but like it's not It's not solving the issue of the Lakers being good. It's just building towards something new. Trading Anthony Davis again. If you get if you get a great offer and you get an offer you can't refuse equal to the Gobert trade, you take it. But if you can't get that, which I don't think they'll get, maybe someone's stupid enough to give up that much for Anthony Davis, but, yeah. and then they'll bet on the upside with no out the same spot the Lakers are in right now. But if someone's willing to give you a godfather offer, you take it. But if not, then just hold on to him, like set up very high price. And if that price is met trade him. And if not, then just work on trying to build him back up. Because otherwise, you're just giving up. And if you sell him for 70% of what he's worth, you only have 70% to work with. And you're just falling behind in the competitive edge of the rest of the league, basically.
1: So if you do trade Anthony Davis, you still keep LeBron James, you're saying? Just get a final answer on that
0: one. You don't have a choice. LeBron's there for two seasons. You don't have a choice. He's there for the next two years. And now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is
1: the Slump Buster Podcast. Kyle, let's go back to the offseason. We released a video on the Los Angeles Clippers, and I'll admit that comment section was not friendly to me. And it was mostly because I pointed out some things that I thought could potentially go wrong with the Los Angeles Clippers. And one of my big things was, I don't think it's safe to just assume that Kawhi Leonard's just going to come back and still be Kawhi Leonard. Well, we got a report from Sports Illustrated that drops about 16 hours ago over this reporting that Kawhi Leonard is out indefinitely while he recovers from that ACL injury that he suffered a couple of years ago in the playoffs and emphasis on the couple years ago. We're a long way removed from that ACL injury. The average recovery time is anywhere between eight to 12 months. Kawhi Leonard is sitting on that 15, 16 month uh, timetable for his return and Obviously we've seen him in a couple of games this year, but that's been about it. It's been a short lived return and the Clippers, they're meandering at six and five. They got a big win against Cleveland, only Cleveland's second loss of the year, but we don't look at the Clippers and think of them as a championship contender, especially if Kawhi Leonard is not in this lineup. What is the best case scenario for Kawhi Leonard if this ACL injury continues to linger?
0: That's a great question. I mean, the, as as I am now an expert on as someone who's done a podcast series and a book about the San Antonio Spurs, I think Kawhi Leonard's knees are kind of the reason why the San Antonio Spurs dynasty ended. Like this has taken down one team. It's, it's brought a championship to Toronto. It's derailed multiple Los Angeles Clipper runs, whether it be the, the 2021 team that Uh, Again, they could have probably beaten Phoenix in the conference finals with a healthy Kawhi Leonard that year. Uh, He got hurt in the second round and didn't play in that series. And then last year, the whole season was a wash because they didn't have Kawhi for the entire year. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's knees have been incredibly influential on the outcomes of the NBA season, shall we say, because Kawhi Leonard has been one of the twenty to twenty-five greatest players in the history of the NBA, and his 30s have been plagued by injuries that have seemed kind of mysterious yeah. in the grand scheme of things.
1: It gets worse. Tai Lu put out this and there's not really a timetable for Kawhi's return. They haven't even set a timetable for his return. Obviously, yeah. we're assuming best case, you know, we think that he could be back for a playoff run, but we've seen that doesn't really work anymore. You, you can't just sit out the entire regular season, come into the playoffs and expect to just be playing your A game. It takes some time. It takes some time getting used to the guys on your roster. And those guys, you know, they're getting a lot of significant minutes. Are you just going to take their minutes away and just input Kawhi Leonard while he's dealing with this knee injury? And how many minutes can you even really give him? because there's going to be a hesitancy when he does inevitably return. How many minutes do we get this guy? Is it six minutes? Is it seven minutes? At what point are we putting too much stress on this knee? And a lot of it is to just like, which doctor science. We don't, we don't really know the true answer on what the injury threshold is for players. Like we, we talked about this. We joked about this when it came to Dave Roberts and Clayton Kershaw, that perfect game that wasn't when he decided to pull him at 80 pitches. Are we saying at the 81st pitch that he would have torn his elbow, Tommy John, been done for the year? We don't know that. We don't know what that is. If like I told you the difference between 25 or 26 minutes for Kawhi Leonard, he could tear his ACL again on the first minute of the first game he plays. Oh, and that could be all she wrote.
0: I'm hearing that to my beloved Kawhi. Don't, I'm hearing do reports
1: that of tendonitis. I'm hearing oh, reports but, uh, of tendonitis in the knee. And so, I go back to a guy like Todd Gurley who at age 26 was out in the National Football League because of that
0: injury. So so this is an interesting case, and and I know a little bit about Kawhi Leonard's medical history, but if we're going back, so the, the reason that the fallout occurred with the San Antonio Spurs was a debate between whether he was suffering from tendinopathy, which is uh, a, an injury related to the tendon, or whether it was a muscle issue in his quad and his knee. And so this was a thing that was kind of back and forth. He didn't feel comfortable, and ultimately the, the fallout with the Spurs came because Spurs doctors thought it was one injury. His secondary doctors thought it was another thing. And and then it it led to a distrust that ultimately spiraled with the players only meeting and Tony Parker's 100 times worse comment and all that stuff. And that was the injury he kept dealing with was the knee and the quad. When he tore his ACL, it was in the other knee that didn't have the degenerative knee injury issue. So now we're talking about two knee injuries In two separate knees for Kawhi Leonard, one that was a degenerative injury going back years and the other that's an ACL, which is one of those that's more sporadic and like you can rehab back to a place where you were theoretically. So we're talking about two different injuries here that are very complex. And to your point about them going into the playoffs or late in the season, trying to get Kawhi healthy. It's a really interesting situation because part of it is expectations, but the only path to a championship for the Clippers is with a fully healthy and fully at his best Kawhi Leonard, because even with that player, and we talked about this in our preseason video, that's not a guarantee to beat the Nuggets. That's not a guarantee to beat Memphis. Yes. We, we kind of wrote off Phoenix a little bit earlier. Phoenix has the number two ranked defense in the league early mm-hmm. in the season this year. And if they play great defense, they're going to be right in the thick at the top because they can score enough points. Like okay, the Even fully are healthy going. Kawhi is not a guarantee to win the title or compete for the title.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if fully healthy Kawhi even exists. Is he always just going to be playing at 80% the rest of his career, 70%, 60%? There's some that say if you're not 100%, then you're basically not able to play. There's a lot of lines of thinking when it comes to injuries and whether or not athletes should brave it through or tough it through. Bottom line is if you set the expectation for Kawhi as one of these all-time great players who came to Los Angeles to win a championship, then you need him to be at the top of his game. And if he's not, then ultimately this is a bust contract for the Clippers. As much as they would hate to admit that, as much as Steve Ballmer and that organization would have to concede the L, put their concession speech in on this Paul George-Kawhi Leonard experiment, Mm -hmm. it seems like it's already (laughs) kind of coming towards the tail end, and it didn't even really get a chance to really get going, and mostly because of the injuries we're talking about here. And at a certain point, you have to wonder, Will the game just pass him by because it passes by so many players uh, when they have to recover from injuries. Like uh, Derek Rose, obviously took him a couple of years coming off his knee. Well, never really the same player after that, but uh, the game flew by Derek Rose to the point where Derek Rose couldn't even compete in the same way. And now we're looking at the landscape of the Western conference. You mentioned all these good teams, the surprise Utah jazz leading the Western conference the Trailblazers existing, Damian Willard, he's still a star player. He's still playing at a high level. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Pelicans. These are all the teams that the Clippers would have to jump if they want to make a playoff run. And, mm. you know, I, can they win how many seven-game series? Again, you have to guarantee me I'm getting a fully healthy I Leonard, and I just don't think that exists anymore. I don't think we'll so, ever see that yeah. player.
0: I think he's going to be out of his a-
1: prime by virtue of injury.
0: Oh, but Kawhi Leonard's already out of his prime. I think this is where he's 32 years old and someone dealing with knee injuries. Like the prime is passed for Kawhi at this point, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that they can't be a highly successful team. I I think where the difference is, is a matter of expectation and where you set the expectation. But
1: the expectation is set by the owner and the owner, Steve Ballmer, set the expectation at championship. That's what he promised the Clippers whenever he took over that organization he wanted to make the Lakers little brother and as much as the Lakers suck <laughs> the Lakers at least still have the one championship to hold to their name they still have the 2020 I, bubble you championship know, to hold to their name
0: it's funny that you bring this up I've had this debate so many times because I grew up in San Diego you've got some Clipper fans some Laker fans like I've had this debate so many times where I'm like man I think if the Lakers had nine awful abjectly terrible seasons and one championship versus the Clippers who have been in my entire memorable lifetime a beacon of stability that's made the playoffs 11 times in 13 seasons and made one conference finals and should have made two more if they don't choke like I think I'd rather be the Clippers than the Lakers even given the one championship it seems more fun to be the you're Clippers in than the, the minority Lakers. man and you but have this,
1: to admit you're in the minority on that so, because championship moments are forever and maybe it's because to be frank let's be honest your organizations you root for or have a rooting interest for have not won a lot of <laughs> championships in their yeah, time. We're I can you, I yeah, we're losers. I can tell you, as someone who got to see my San Francisco Giants win three championships in my lifetime, it was amazing. Oh,
0: any yeah, I sex, you know what? Any <laughs> drug, any food, I'll I, trade it I, just for one more championship but this is a matter of expectation is that I got that moment this year when the Padres beat the Dodgers. That was our championship moment, but this is the unique thing. Like Steve Mm, Ballmer can losing in the finals. It doesn't doesn't matter what you say. It's about NLCS. That's that's the equivalent of blue balls. Don't care. Don't care at all. There were no expectations. I got my
1: championship.
0: Nope. Not if you have no expectations, but I will say like essentially in your pants at someone touching your leg. That's what the NLCS is. Speaking of which, Steve Ballmer, uh, (laughs) someone who looks like he constantly has a jizz face, Steve Ballmer. Um, Steve Ballmer can set the expectation at championship, but we as a discerning fan, I mean, I'm not a Clipper fan, but like a Clipper fan or an NBA analyst can just look at that and say, well, that's a stupid thing to do. You're full of shit. Your team can't win a championship. So like discernibly, like the Clippers are in this group of teams, like you just mentioned. I, I think you listed off seven teams, like the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, the Spurs, the, or sorry, the Suns, the uh, Warriors, the the Nuggets, like the, the Clippers are in that group, but I think the Clippers are just another team in that group, unless yeah. you have in its prime Kawhi Leonard. And even then that might not be good enough to beat some of these teams. So I think if you set the expectation at we can win a playoff series That's something you can do even without in his prime Kawhi Leonard, because Paul George is a very good player. You have uh, Norman Powell, who has been an incredibly productive player coming over from Portland in a really (laughs) weird fallout situation. I mean, the Clippers have
1: won playoff series, man. It's about doing something more, doing something you've never done before, striving to be the best. Isn't that what it's all about?
0: You can shoot for that, but let's be realistic about what the Clippers are at this point. Their path to the championship is in his prime Kawhi Leonard at this
1: point. We we are being realistic. We are being realistic about what it is. It's just still a disappointment in the grand scheme of things. It's a disappointment in this chapter of Clippers basketball that this assembly of players that they organized was not able to pull down basketball's ultimate prize. And the Clippers, obviously, they've lived with their fair amount of disappointments. They thought the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul Clippers would have been like their path to a championship. That didn't happen. And now this is the next iteration of that. So what is the next iteration after that? Because this organization, again, they've won playoff series. They had that long streak without even making it into a Western Conference Finals that they finally were able to get past. But it's about doing something above yourself. I said the same argument with you about the Celtics last year. I've seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown make it to Eastern Conference Finals. I needed to see them make it to a NBA finals just to see that they could do it. And obviously, I want them to do more, but I needed to know that they still had that in their bag. I don't know what the Clippers have as an organization. If we're going to be here a hundred years later and talk about the Clippers still never making a finals, I'd like to think a big market team like the Clippers in Los Angeles with a owner that's committed to spending all the money, Steve Cohen-esque move heaven and earth to make his team the best team in basketball. I would like to think that that is the formula you need to build a championship contender. But I will have to say that it's time that we officially hit that eject button on assuming that this team is going to be amongst the top tier. And I had already kind of hit that button at the start of the season when I said that I think the Grizzlies are better today. Then the Clippers, I know that you were a little hesitant to jump in because
0: you assumed that we were getting back Kawhi Leonard. It just doesn't seem we're going to get that. So, this is an interesting point because we already saw if you remove Kawhi Leonard from the equation, we saw what the Clippers were last year. They were eight seed in the regular season that lost the play in game to Minnesota and then lost another play in game to the Pelicans. Like, we've seen what that is. So, the jump from nine to whatever you set the bar for the Clippers at, I think when we were doing our video, I said realistically third or fourth. That's where I saw them in the Grizzlies, but. In this scenario, I think Phoenix has kind of like surpassed them in the early part of the season. So like maybe it's four and five at this point. And if you're in that territory, you should expect to uh, maybe win a first round playoff series. If injuries break right, maybe you make a conference final similar to what the Clippers did in 2021. But I think that's the best you can expect for the Clippers and just adjust your expectations. If you're a Clipper fan, don't set the bar at championship. (laughs) Adjust your expectations. It will be a more enjoyable experience for you as you read headlines about Kawhi Leonard's injury and get concerned about, hey, are we getting a diminished product going forward into 2024 and 2025? Because... Kawhi Leonard is as much as people with championship culture mentality are like if it's not a title we blow it up more likely than not Kawhi Leonard is going to be on the team the next three seasons so if you take a longer term view adjust your expectations a bit I think it might be a more evidence based realistic approach and I know fans don't like that because sports are emotional but like set the expectation in different places if we're not going to have a fully healthy Kawhi leonard for extended periods of the season or if he's going to have to spend the last 40 games of the season revving up for say a first round playoff series against luca for the third time in four years best two words in broadcasting more slump buster we're heading into ot with one more topic
1: you obviously came into the year thinking they were the best team in the Eastern conference. I can't imagine a nine and one start to their season has shaken your confidence in that whatsoever, or even the eight and two start by the Cleveland Cavaliers. I can't imagine that has shaken your confidence in the Milwaukee bucks whatsoever. Can they set history this year? Is that a realistic things that fans can potentially look forward to?
0: Well, so the Bucks play the Thunder and the Spurs this week. So they theoretically should be at, at least 11 and one, perhaps by the time this video comes out, but yeah, damn, they lost to the Hawks without Trey Young. That that puts a little damper on the the perfect video season. They didn't have Chris Middleton, but still like losing to the the Hawks without Trey Young is a little bit rough, but even still Milwaukee has been really great this year. And Currently, they have the number four offense in the NBA and the number one defense in the league. That is uh, pretty incredible, even granted it being a small sample size at this point. Uh, There was one point early in the season, and I'm sure this this has changed now over the last two or three games. But as of last week, Giannis was averaging more points in the second half than players such as Luka Doncic and Paul George were averaging for the entire season. Up to that point, he was averaging 24 points a game to start the season in the second half, uh, while also on his way to probably a defensive player of the year award early on in the season. There's a lot to play still, but early on, he's been the best defensive player in the league. Um, Milwaukee has been totally overwhelming so far this year. And uh, to your point about history. It's not going to be 73 wins because sometimes you just lose to the Hawks without Trey Young. So it's not going to be 73 wins, but uh, best record in the NBA very easily within their grasp. Uh, a franchise record technically would be 67 wins if you want to go back to the 1971 season. But if we're talking about modern Bucks history if you want to go back to the Giannis team from 2020, they won 60 games prior to the COVID season kind of neutering things. They were on pace to win like 64 games that year. I think this team could get close to that. Um, 67 is a, is a bit of a lofty goal, but as long as they get the number one seed in the East, I, th- I think that is the the goal that Milwaukee is shooting for at this point. And, and I think they will get there pretty firmly, even if it's not 67 wins. I think it's going to be somewhere in the 60s.
1: Now, I know that we go back and forth all the time on championship culture. I can't help but feel as an important year for Giannis, particularly if the Bucks are fully healthy, because we think of Giannis almost as the new iteration of LeBron James or this generation's LeBron James, the best player. He is the best player. I'm not going to argue that he's the best player in the world. I thought that he should have won MVP last year. I think that Jokic is great and everything. But if Giannis legitimately made strides at every statistical category from the point that he won MVP, my argument was that he should have been MVP last year. Because you already told me that he was MVP a couple of years ago with worse numbers. When he has better numbers, shouldn't that result in a MVP season? That's neither here nor there. That's last year. Let's talk about this year. I think that this is an important year for the Bucs because while you do have the best player in the world, Multiple championships is not an unreasonable expectation. That is, in fact, should be the standard. We saw too often that LeBron and those Cavs teams and the Miami Heat teams in the Eastern Conference, uh, obviously the 10 straight finals appearances is something ungodly, something that we will never see again in our lifetime. But we, we should expect that to almost be something that Giannis should be able to do in theory, rise above the Eastern Conference, because... You, you do have an improved East. It's not the East of LeBron's time. It is a much improved East. When would talk about the 76ers. We talk about the Celtics. I'm looking at the Cleveland team. I can't, I don't look at the Cleveland team as a joke. They're actually really good. Any of those teams could win the Eastern Conference. But the Bucks, while you have the best player in the world, you just kind of expect them to rise above those... Lesser
0: foes from time to time. How important do you think it is for Giannis to at least make it to the finals? I'm not even saying win the championship, but at least win the Eastern Conference this year. Well, it's interesting also because Chris Middleton's a free agent after this season, which is an interesting situation. The Bucks find so themselves. So that kind of in.
1: increases the urgency.
0: I would as long as Giannis wants to stay in Milwaukee, then then absolutely. I mean, the, the thing that will separate him is that he chose to stay in Milwaukee for his prime, which is kind of the thing that happens with basketball based on when you enter the league is that for your physical prime stars usually get to pick the place that they go to. I remember a couple of years ago I said there was a 0% chance that Giannis would return to Milwaukee, not knowing anything about Giannis personally just thinking it made more basketball sense to go join another team and Giannis is still in his prime, but we're coming up on the back end of his physical prime, which is roughly 24 to 29. At this point, he's 27. He's going to turn 28 soon. We're coming up on the end of Giannis's physical prime. This is now four seasons since the last time he won MVP for the first time. So he still will be a very, very good basketball player. It just won't be the best basketball Giannis is going to play but that doesn't mean he's not going to like be competitive every year LeBron's best basketball ended in 2013 but LeBron James was still an absolutely incredible basketball player in Cleveland (laughs)
1: listen Miami LeBron was awesome but no come on that that, uh, 2018 Cavs run was something insane
0: Oh, it was incredible. And that's not to say that Giannis can't have incredible moments like that. I'm saying statistically there, the case is made that the best sustained period of his career was in his, er, in his mid twenties. And that's the case for most basketball players. It's when they win MVPs. It's when their teams are, are competing for championships at the best level. It's, it's usually a tried and true rule. It's not always a guarantee. Some people age quite gracefully. They can still be the best basketball player in the world. Like some argued LeBron was in 2016, but 2016 lebron was not as good as 2012 lebron. The point is sidetracking. Giannis is entering the back ends of that and to your point about championships, people will point to that the macro of like one championship appearance, one win but if you look at each of the seasons, it's explainable why the Bucks lost in the games that they did. So you can point to the the year of 2019, where they were the one seed. They were up 2-0, just got beat by Kawhi. Kawhi was a better player than Giannis. Kawhi ate, like, not only scored 28 points a game in that series, also held Giannis to 20 points a game in the final four games. They swept him out after going down 0-2. The year after that, losing the bubble to Miami. Giannis got hurt in game 3 of that series. Now, would they they were they already down 2-0? That's correct, but Giannis did go out in game 3 and missed the rest of the series. And then you could point to last year with the, the Celtics, we've talked about it a lot before, Middleton being out, the series going 7 games, we've had a lot of back and forth about that conversation. Each of those 3 seasons the team that beat them went on to win the Eastern Conference and and in the case of Toronto win the championship. So, there are extraneous circumstances that explain why the Bucks haven't gotten to that point. If they're the number one seed this year, I said they were the best team in the league coming into the season. Number one seed would only validate that point. They should expect to win a championship this season with Giannis Antetokounmpo in his prime. Despite the, the as long as they are healthy, they have put a roster that is good enough to win a championship around prime Giannis, which only requires a certain level of organizational competence, but the Bucs have provided that competence.
1: I'm impressed. I never really see you too often like put the championship expectation on a team, even a team that expects a championship with the best player in the world. Uh, and I think it's right. I, anytime you have the best player in the world, you should set that standard. We have to set standards sometimes. And I think the Milwaukee yes. Bucks are in their right mind to do that, especially like you said, if this is their last opportunity to really have the full complement of weapons around Giannis to have this rightful construction that they have. I, I mean every team's gonna have its lapses they're gonna have their games that they want to the Hawks so can we again we go back to can they set history that's a tough question it's a long season a lot can happen we talked about health with this team uh, going back to last year's playoff run if you told me Giannis Giannis even missed time too from not a significant amount but he's missed time in his career, Chris Middleton has missed time in his career. Uh, That could derail a record breaking season. Like we're even talking about here in the seasons early going. Uh, But as long as they're healthy for the championship, I mean, I'm I'm looking through, I mean, seven game series. Yeah. I mean, they obviously should be able to beat a young Cleveland team that I think is in the right direction, but they they have holes. Donovan Mitchell has been playing better defense, but I still look at Donovan Mitchell as a (laughs) subpar defender. I wonder how that's going to play as we get into championship basketball, the Celtics don't have their head coach. (laughs) The Celtics still have that issue behind them. They're seven and three now, but I I don't know. We'll, We'll see. They had a very impressive win this past evening uh, going around the East, you know, the 76. I think, I think
0: Miami is the next team. Miami's probably the next team in that group. And I know they've had a really bad start to the season, but I do think Miami is probably the next team we think of in that group, trying to take down the bucks. If not the bucks and Celtics at the top, I would think Miami and Cleveland are in that next group.
1: Sure. I mean, you can throw the 76ers in there because we think that Embiid is still an MVP level player. And anytime you have an MVP player on your team, you have a chance and We'll see what they can get, if anything, out of James Harden. I know he's going to miss a month. I don't know how he's going to come back. I don't know if James Harden's ever really going to be James Harden again. And hell, this Hawks team is actually starting off really hot. You mentioned the Hawks team that just beat up. him. I mean, the Hawks added to their roster. So there was at least improvements by this Hawks team. Mm-hmm. And um, will they match up? Are they a team that at least, you know, styles make fights? Can they match up well against this Milwaukee Bucks? We'll say maybe we just need to get more data, see how good this Hawks team really is, see how good the Celtics are, see how good without uh, Ime Adoka, see how good the Cavaliers are, uh, really, because I think they have the pieces. We talked about the Cavaliers. I think they have the pieces. If Donovan Mitchell's for real and this defense is here to stay, then yeah, the Cavaliers can absolutely beat the Bucks in a best-of-seven series, but the Bucks mm-hmm. should obviously be favored in that best-of-seven series. That's the thing. I'm saying they can, not saying they will. Vegas betting line... At open would be in
0: the Bucks' favor, but you could put money on the Cavaliers, and it not be a crazy bet. I like I like that you're going in on Cleveland, like in an Eastern Conference where after the Bucks and Celtics, it feels like there's a little bit of a drop off. I like that you're banking on Cleveland. Early Listen, in the Cleveland has beaten the Celtics twice, and in impressive fashion. The first time
1: around, they had two players put up over forty points, and then the second time around, I know it was an overtime thriller, but it shows you that the Cavaliers are for real. Uh, Defensively, offensively, uh, Donovan Mitchell was the right piece. Uh, Credit to that organization for having the cojones to make that trade.